Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode two of season five, The Beast Below. This is Amy's first trip in the TARDIS, and she is in her nighty. Will this also be her last trip as well? All because of her choice to forget. This episode is written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Andrew Gunn. It originally aired on the 10th of April, 2010, and was watched by 6.4 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn. Hey, this is Kelsey. Hi, this is Josh. Hi, this is Frank. This is Brian. And this is Heather. Within a flying city in space, school children are given their assessments by a two-faced mechanical watcher called a Smiler. The last boy, Timmy, is given a review of Bad Boy and given a zero. This means he is not allowed to ride an elevator down the 20 levels to go home and must take the stairs. A friend, Mandy, says she will wait for him down there. He gets into a lift anyway, which descends to the lowest level where the floor of the elevator opens, dropping him into a pit. A Vader. I thought that was cool. The sign above and between the Mm -hmm. two lifts said Vader. Was there any significance to that, you think? Elevator. It's falling apart. The E, the, e, the L, mm. and the E fell off years ago. Oh, that's what I was. That's I how I looked at it. I didn't even think of that. That's cool. Yeah, another sign that this is a very old ship. Yeah. So what was the test that the kids were taking? Did they? Did they say? No, it sounds just like at a the Logan... end of it all. We missed the story. Right. So it, it, to, I took it as some sort of Logan's Run type of test where they're being assessed for their compliance. I guess. Well, he's not over thirty. Right. I know, <laughs> but like that's that's but that's what I mean. Like that's how they test kids. At first, I was like, "It was a, ma- I guess it's a math quiz." I always took it as it was just a normal test, and he failed his test, so his punishment was to walk down the stairs. And had he walked down the stairs, he'd have been fine. Oh, he didn't walk down the. St- I, that's what I didn't catch. Oh yes, so he, he didn't he follow directions. Defiantly took another elevator. So th- it wasn't because of the test that he was a bad boy. No, it's because he because he didn't the take punishment, his punishment. Was he couldn't take an elevator down. Oh, okay, the he had to take the stairs. Yeah, twenty flights uh, down. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. But you could see from Mandy, it's like, no, he did something, and he's just a bit of a rebel. It's like, you got a zero, didn't you? It seems like, again, kind of attitude. Right, because... like, yeah, what? And just, so he had that kind of bad boy about him, but not in an evil way. He was just... <laughs> right. Frank likes the bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> Brian? <laughs> Hmm. Chirp, chirp. He got a new jacket. <laughs> I love how the I love how the uh, smiler has different faces, and the the smiling face is already creepy. Yes. And then it turns around. It's got like mediocre, disappointed face, and then right before you fall down to the below, it's like the most terrifying face of all time. The beady red eyes. Yeah. I probably not- had a few nightmares about that. <laughs> well, I think makes the the smiling one so creepy is because the, there's all white around the iris of the eye. Um, but the magic part of what I like about the smilers is it obviously only has two sides, but yeah. then it has that third side. Like, where'd that come from? It's the sound that got me, because the sound of all the gears when the smiler's moving reminded me of the androids in Girl in the Fireplace. Mm-hmm. You know, that same kind of old-time feeling 
Well, the mechanics. This episode did really good in setting up some sounds for things that we don't see but keep hearing. So, and that was another that, and later on the the clanging of some of the tentacles. The, and so, the absence of a sound, which yeah. comes up pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, like, that I thought was a great idea. I like this as a cold open. We get a child death, just as a cold open. Timmy's gone. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> he fell down a well. Yeah. <laughs> Timmy's down a well. The, the little girl in the elevator um, at the end of the cold open, though, was, I mean, it was creepy in the moment, but then it was just, just for the creep factor of the moment, like, right? Because she never comes back or... Yeah, like, who was that supposed to even be? Oh, on the monitor. Yes. Yes. I took that as this, like, old footage of somebody that's long dead. Just a kid who needs, needs braces really bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, British. All of England. <laughs> but the poem just really, you know, said, you're going to a bad place. No one can expect any love from the beats below type of thing. Give it that eerie quality to have a poem. Again, that brings me back to Buffy, the gentleman. They have a poem. Anytime children know more than you do, it's creepy. Happens a lot, doesn't it, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I was a real creepy kid. Did they just, like, randomly hire this child? Like, you are going to be the, the child who reads the poem of death. <laughs> it's funny, I completely forget about the recording of that child because it doesn't it never go anywhere. Yeah. You'd think, it, it seemed like it had more of a purpose that would show up again. Yeah, but it's just a creep. Yeah, yeah I think factor. it's just creepy yeah. for the cold open, which is fine. Like, I like cold, cold opens yeah. to, to be like that. They I mean, because of the short, you know, the, the, the way that TV schedules and scripts need to be truncated, there may have been more that, that got cut out, and then they were like, well, well, we have her in the opening bit. We're like, well, that opening bit's too creepy to cut out. That's great, so keep it. Everybody chooses to forget her. Oh. <laughs> Amy Pond floats in space outside the TARDIS, proving to herself that the TARDIS is an actual spaceship. She and the Doctor see the flying city pass by, well, flying country, of Great Britain minus Scotland. In the 29th century, each nation of Earth left the planet due to deadly solar flares. On the TARDIS monitor, they see Mandy crying. After warning Amy that they are only to observe and not get involved, the doctor goes off to get involved. Never interfere unless children are crying, is the motto of the day. He sends Amy to follow Mandy and ask her why people are afraid of the Smilers, which are everywhere on the ship, watching. So after this cold open, we get Amy floating in space, which is a direct continuity to a scene that was deleted from the 11th hour, the previous episode. So I like that that kept in, where she's just floating in space and still in her nighty. Anyway, that deleted scene is on uh, the DVDs. When was she floating? When was that deleted scene supposed to go? When she gets into the interior of the TARDIS, and she's still in her... She's like, I'm in my nighty. And he goes, oh, we got a wardrobe and all of this. And then it continues further where they keep talking, and then he goes to the, the doors. He opens it up, and they're in space. With that imagery of Amy outside the, the, um, the TARDIS, the music that's used there is Amy's theme, and I think it fits perfectly with those visuals. Totally. Yeah, and I like the imagery that this paints with like the fantasy of somebody floating in space without the aid of a, a spacesuit or anything like that. It just um, kind of reminds me of The Little Prince, that story, like him just out on his own planet and uh, the way that the doctor is holding her, her ankle. I don't know, I, I just like the imagery that that paints. They used a lot in promotional materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they're still trying to find out who Amy is. 
she's realizing you're not supposed to interfere. It's going to be like a doc documentary where if somebody's dying, you can't interfere. I don't think I can do that. Then seeing the doctor on the screen going, you, you know, you can just see her going, wait a minute, you just told me the opposite of this. And seeing him go, come on, come on. And when she goes out there though, she says, so there's a kid crying, so what? That happens all the time, no big deal. After she just said, I don't know if I could do that. Just stand by and be <laughs> impass passionate by this. When she is, she doesn't give any kind of sympathy. She's no Rose in this matter, where Rose would go up and interact with the common people. She's like, okay, so the kid's crying. Kids cry all the time. What's the big deal? I kind of actually was taking that almost because of her, because now that I know her whole story, she is still a child. Like she got her whole development has sort of been arrested. I think she's really only progressed into emotionally, like uh, into her early teens, because she still is a child. And uh, I really didn't like her very much when uh, when I originally watched this run. But I'm enjoying watching her like this because it's kind of her character arc is a real slow burn. Right. So in a movie, you really don't like someone at first. And over the movie, over an hour and a half to two hours, you grow to like them. But this is over many hours. In, no, in re-watching this now, I'm enjoying seeing how underdeveloped she is at this stage and where she, knowing where she's going to go. That was very well said, and I very much agree with that. Thank you. Thank you for being, for saying things better than I could. I also want to say that I think the idea of the Starship UK, you know, that with the solar flares, all the countries built their own ships and left. I mean, that is so realistic with Brexit. Yeah, this, this show takes yeah. on a lot yeah. of new uh, meaning with Brexit. And how Scotland's not part of it. <laughs> no, you're on your own. The, the triple faces that are kind of unrealistic, but you can get that through editing. Like here I liked... Amy watching the monitor of the little girl and then the doctor's there yeah. and then Amy walks out and all of a sudden we're there at, yeah. on Spaceship UK or Starship UK. Yeah, that was like, they weren't really editing tricks but it was like basic editing that took us yeah. on that journey without having to do a lot of like moving around. Yeah, it's probably if you watch, if you analyze that little bit there, it's probably a lesson in screen direction. Yeah. Um, the doctor tells Amy, you have to step up and do what I tell you or go home. What is Amy going to choose? <laughs> So it just, but it just was. I thought it was an interesting way of going. Where are you going? What are you going to do? Do this or go home? And it's nice because it sets up then all the choices that all of our characters have to make along the way. But we start with this really little choice. Yeah. Um, mentioning earlier about the solar flares, we did an episode called "The Ark in Space" with the Fourth Doctor, and they mentioned in there that. Uh, humanity has left Earth due to solar flares, so it's nice that this is coming back around, and we mentioned that it would also be referenced again. And this is the episode, The Beast Below. Yay. Now, Brian, we had talked about in the last episode, The 11th Hour, how when the doctor was in the park and trying to notice things, they did quick pull-ins and showing all the different things yeah, that he was looking at. And we're saying that's annoying, that hopefully they don't keep up with that. Yes. So I think what they did in this one to try and change it, because somebody must have had that same feeling, was the doctor then started describing everything that they're seeing rather than visually showing us. Oh yeah, he does. Because he goes through a whole litany of why it's a police state. The people are passing the kid, mm. the kid is crying, they're crying, but he's crying, she is crying silently, which means yeah, it's we the don't pain, and they're all ignoring her because it's something it. that's common. So hence police state and goes through everything. But he's pointing But doing it out. that same type of... Because you are getting quick shots of... Little adults blue. walking past yeah. her. Yeah, it's much better that way. It's much more emotional for us to hear him say it rather than camera trickery. I mean, we're familiar with him now, but like it's getting us invested in this person who was the doctor. It's a new doctor. Like we want to 
it, you know, the smartest person in the room is always going to be more engaging. Yeah, it, it shows how smart and how yeah. why he has all that knowledge. It's almost uh, Sherlock Holmesy, like the what's it called the uh, the observations that he makes. The power of deduction. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Elementary. <laughs> Ed seduction. Uh. <laughs> The doctor grabs a glass of water and places it on the floor and observes it. This catches the attention of a cloaked figure who contacts a woman who also has water glasses on her floor. The doctor heads to the engine room and meets the woman who now wears a porcelain mask. The doctor has noticed that there are no engine vibrations rippling the water and now discovers it's because there are no engines. The woman, Liz Ten, is trying to solve this riddle and begs the doctor to help. She hands him a locator to find Amy and disappears. I also liked how they kind of do this throughout the whole series, how children are a lot smarter than they than one would think. Like the girl, little girl Mandy's pretty sharp and with it. Um, that's can't be sharpened with it at 13 but still like she she's sort of sussing out amy and and like is giving her the what for at first and this is where they don't have a sound there's no background engine noise that you would have on star trek oh, things. Like, right oh. right right it's like there's no noise on this everything is quiet especially as you look at the water with no ripples so i like that they don't have sound on this part and that's a really clever for moffat wrote this mm-hmm. it was a really clever idea be like, there's something wrong on this spaceship, and water's not rippling, mm-hmm. so the engines are not on. It's like, oh yeah, of course. It's just, yeah, it's uh, very, that was very, very clever. clever. It's, um, it's that not finding what's there, but finding what's not there, mm-hmm. and that's what's unsettling. But you can't figure it out because right. it's not something you can see or touch tangibly. I guess because there was martial law there, but like, there's also didn't seem to be as it was dirty and grimy, but there was no crime there was no sense of crime like the little girl wasn't scared of getting hurt by going off on her own to the elevator or to the stay wherever on her way home because part of me thought like that's dangerous for a girl to be walking home all by herself but now come to think of it there wasn't any sense of you know uh, civilian versus civilian if it was a martial state right piggybacking on what you were saying josh about Mandy. Um, I just want to say that I think Mandy is one of the more disappointing parts of this episode because of all the children in Doctor Who, like, she just seems pretty boring to me. <laughs> I, I think they set her up to be something and they just sort of left it. Yeah, because she does. Yeah. She sticks around to the very end of the episode, but we never really <laughs> right. I don't give a crap about Mandy. True, it's, it's, she's a lot more of a one-dimensional character. <laughs> I felt the need to point that out because it happens so rarely. Right. Usually they they knock it out of the park with kids on this show. Well, I think I think they're. Uh, this is where the why Amy was such a difficult character to sell to me because, looking at it now and analyzing it, the focus was on her. You know, the focus is always on the new characters, Amy and the Doctor, and the new Doctor. And what's Amy's deal? Her Amy's deal is all about the Doctor. She even at the end when she was talking about your true, you know, the, someone you crushed on. So Rose was about the common person. Donna was about, you know, people who, who were in need. Amy's all about the doctor. So there was no connection to these other people. Um, and even in the next episode uh, after this, it was sort of the same thing. Like, she's more like poking fun and, ha- and, and, and having a laugh rather than really being involved with people because it's all about her having a good time before she 
before she doesn't get married. Do we have that line with Liz Ten, help us, Doctor? Mm-hmm. You're our only hope? Yes. It just sounded so much like Princess Leia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've, I noticed uh, a couple, well, more than a couple of different Star Wars references, or at least Star Wars allusions, but by the end I couldn't tell if they were for Star Wars in particular, or just like that whole old school uh, space serial that like Star Wars is also kind of based on, or or, like paying homage to as well. But yeah, this was the first one I noticed. I was going to see if anyone noticed ones before this. Um, I think this is the first one, then like you said, there's more. Yeah. I didn't this time, but... I probably had the first time I watched it. It's not seems like something I wouldn't let slide. <laughs> Me and Princess Leia, we go back a long ways. Yes, you do. <laughs> I like how Liz hands him the device to find Amy. And he goes, well, how can I find you? Oh, I'll find you. Yeah. And that's a little foreshadowing of, you know, right there of how she finds him. I mm-hmm. thought that was great. Oh, and, and I, I like that both Liz and the doctor are doing the same thing. And it seems like she's been doing it longer because there's more glasses on her floor. And at first I thought, is there going to be a T-Rex coming through? (laughs) (laughs) One thing uh, we're not talking about because we're so familiar with this episode, but in watching this the first time, I did notice it when I watched it this week, but um, I like how before you realize who Liz is and then her her cronies, whatever you want to call them, and even that older fella, they all seem, they seem like bad guys. They seem like they're going to be the villain. And they played it real, a real nice... Uh, you know, dichotomy of of or juxtaposition of seeming like they're the antagonist. Turns out they're not, and then even through the end of the episode, because they were so ominous. Yeah, they're the cloaked figures are called the winders. Mm-hmm. And did you notice their necklace? No. It's an old wind-up key. Oh, I did notice that. that. I did notice that. That reminds me of um, Liz Liz Ten's mask. Looks like a clockwork droid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I like that too. Oh, Stephen Moffat. He's so stinking clever. <laughs> is the actress who plays Liz, is she anybody from Britain of note to have such I a big part in this I guess we're there now. Just kidding. I always do that. <laughs> the answer? Yes. So Liz Ten is played by Sophie Okanedo. She was awarded the OBE, which is Officer of the Order of the British Empire in 2010. And that was on the Queen's birthday honors list for her services in drama. But I know her from Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. She plays the Wachati Princess. <gasps> yes! That's a knighthood right there. <laughs> she, she's the one doing the dance. And then, anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> so Eugene remembers that from actress. his... Formative years. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> yeah. Well, she was also Tatiana in Hotel Rwanda. Oh, okay. She was also in a uh, HBO four-hour movie miniseries about the Indonesian tsunami. Oh, okay. Oh. Devastating perf- performance oh, wow. that she gave. Devastating. But she has a previous Doctor Who connection in that she played the companion, Allison Cheney. And this was in the animated web series called Scream of Shalka. This was the ninth Doctor before Christopher Eccleston became the Doctor. Hmm. Yeah, she was good. She seemed like she was someone with a lot more weight than a one-timer on a show. She reminded me very much of River Song. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Amy follows Mandy to a section of the ship that is blocked by repair work of a hole in the floor. Mandy says they must find another way, but Amy proceeds forward and sees a large spiked tentacle coming out of the hole. She backs up and is caught by a group of men who knock her out. She awakes in a room with a screen and a button to play a recorded message, as well as two other buttons to vote on what she has seen. The recording is the truth about the spaceship, and she can press protest 
or press forget. If a certain amount of the population vote protest, the secrets she has seen will stop and all the passengers on the ship will have to deal with the consequences. If she chooses forget, all that she has watched will be erased from her memory. The recording begins and Amy sees her hand on the forget button. Another message begins to play. It is Amy warning herself to get the doctor off the ship and stop his investigation, whatever it takes. I think the amount of people was just one or ten percent. It was a, one. It was one percent. Yes, yeah. it was a very small amount. That's why we changed it from a large amount to certain amount. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like that old old guy on the screen, he's the one telling the saying the directions, and he seems creepy and evil, but he's saying it with such sympathy and empathy. It was this weird juxtaposition, and it, I find this episode to be very intriguing in that in that regard. I did love the edit where she just has her hand on forget. Right. And it's and like, oh gosh, what did she see? And then just her telling herself, get the doctor off now. Get out of here. Yeah. I think I, I mentioned in our first time we saw Amy, but again, we're getting like these close-ups of her eyes. Um, yeah, we, we saw it with Prisoner Zero. And then again here when she's like getting downloaded all the video footage. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, I really liked the the cut to the forget. It reminds me a lot of later when we get to, like, the silence and some of that stuff. Yes. Like, yes. like <laughs> they they really know what uh, Karen Gillum's good at, and they or, or they have an idea what they want her to be good at, and they definitely keep going back to those same kind of, like, shots and, and sequences to get it. She definitely plays what the hell is going on really well. Yeah. <laughs> And then, where am I? What happened? Yeah. How much time did I lose? This also shows Amy has that little bad side to her because she picks the lock. Mm. She, she knows how to do it. She's like, okay, let me uh, sit down and get this done. From her days as a policewoman. I really liked that Amy, um, or I like seeing a companion not do what the doctor asked them to do. It's funny, though, because she's so into the doctor, you'd think he would, she'd do everything he, te- he would tell her, which is a little ironic. That's... That's not in her nature. No, no. That's one of the things I didn't like. Submissive list. Sorry. No, go ahead. That's one of the things I didn't like about Amy, because she doesn't think of the consequences. She is smart, she is right. impulsive, she is daring, but she doesn't right. think but, right. about but that, what's going to happen because of that, and but, that's something that always bothered me with her. But that, right. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Um, but, and I was just going to say, right, I agree. Like, I did not like that she didn't do that. Like, it bugged me, because I was like, Amy, he gave you instructions, but I like that that makes her, you know, like, I. it's one of those, like, when you, like, when you enjoy hating a character, or, like, you know, you, you've got, like, an evil evil character and he's evil and he's or he or she is evil and bad but you're enjoying the experience of mm-hmm. like hating them like that's kind of the feeling I get with Amy like, it's like purpose, I, purposely prodding the viewer right I like that she's um evokes that in me I guess like I like that they wrote a character that I don't agree with um actions wise you would never do that so she's kind of like living out your wild fantasies that you'll never <laughs> live out well, it's funny because it goes along with what I was saying before about what you were saying, Frank. The way she does that is she's like a child. A child who doesn't yeah. think about their consequences. And now I'm really curious to watch this season coming up or her whole thing where does she start to make better decisions and does she start to think about her consequences more as time goes on? I think this episode she does, it starts awakening in her because mm-hmm. she seemed to forget about her wedding until the <laughs> right. man he asked her. He goes, I love the line, though. You know, when are you married? Or are you married? 
It's like, ooh, a long time ago tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great little <laughs> line. That really was well written. But she forgets about that. And then later on, when she's deciding what to do, she's finding out whether or not she made a decision to be married. And there's no information on that. And so she's, right, you know, right. something starting going, what am I going to be? What, you know, I've died centuries mm. ago. What did I do with my life? She's starting to awaken to that. Right. So it took traveling through time and space to grow this girl up. Well, that does for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Just we do it more linear. <laughs> you mean the slow path? Let's yeah. take the slow path. Are you going to talk about the Easter egg? No, because I can't remember. Oh, the magpie? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. That's right. Magpie electronics I usually on miss the those tent. Things. Yeah, so. where before um, before they go in, it's uh, Mandy and Amy. And Magpie Electronicals is from? from the Idiot's Lantern, if we remember that episode with Rose and the Tenth Doctor. Yeah, and once you see that, you kind of start noticing all the 40s type screens, mm-hmm. like television screens, and and even even the Smilers have this very like you know early, Retro, early yeah, yeah 1930s 1940s. I think everything being more primitive, but the engines, like when he was noticing that there weren't engines, it's like yeah they have radios and light bulbs, right? But like so they shouldn't be advanced enough to have a spaceship that can go without a rumble. Maybe. Or maybe it is what you were saying, Eugene. And while he was saying it, I thought that's what he meant. And then he, he said, the, said the other thing about just being clean because no one's going near it. Because no one wants to go near the Smilers, right. yeah. And I don't think the Smilers look clean. Yeah. I just I thought, thought that was a weird line. It's yeah. Something else that um, could be an Easter egg, they, um, they make Amy say, um, they make Amy point out the bicycles as possibly being something that's amiss. Um, it reminds me of the episode... Where they're, where Waters the, of Mars, isn't that um, Waters of Mars? Yeah, yeah. Where the doctor's like, you didn't think to bring bicycles? <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that, I don't know if they did that because, you know, to Maybe. Um, I like make that. us remind of like that at one point the doctor um, wished that there was bicycles on a space station and now we see bicycles on a space station. It's, oh, it's we didn't hear ding, 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 ding <laughs> in the background instead of the engines. <laughs> The doctor arrives with Mandy and sees that Amy pressed forget. The doctor examines the voting machine, resets it, and presses protest. The smiler inside the room turns to his evil face and shuts the door with Mandy outside. The floor opens and the doctor and Amy fall down a long chute onto the tongue in the mouth of a huge beast. The doctor induces the gag reflex so the animal regurgitates and tosses them out of the mouth into a large overflow pipe. Another forget button is near the only door and will open it if pressed. Two smilers are also in the pipe and after the doctor tells them he will not press the button, they leave their booths to attack them. Okay, now this is where I had the Star Wars throwback for mm-hmm, sure. Yep. To two different yeah, Empire parts, Strikes Back. Actually. To Empire yeah, Strikes Back, but also to, to the fir- to New Hope when they're in the trash chute. Oh, so yeah. it's like both of those. Well, What's either the, way, this is not going to be big on dignity. That's <laughs> a good, that's a good line. <laughs> What's the Empire Strikes Back reference? When, they, when they're in the space the... slug. When they go outside the Millennium Falcon and they're... They have to hide around the tongue. They have to hide inside the meteor. Okay. I mean, definitely props to the guy, who, to the art director, because I do think the Smilers are creepy. But this episode really feels like a kid's show. I, I, I will say this, though. It was so gross the way they looked, mm-hmm. covered in guck yeah. and sick, that that to yeah. me compensated for the fakeness of the floor. <laughs> like, I was really grossed out a lot more than I was put off by the fakeness of the floor. 
That's funny because Amy's in her 90, which reminds me of uh, Princess Leia in the trash compactor, too. Mm. All right. Oh, I never thought of that. What? Well, she's just wearing just a white sheer. A, a white, white dress. And they're all now, like, feminine, grimy and stuff. Uh-huh. I like how they, like, just turn around and all of a sudden the mouth is there, like, on yeah. the backside of the teeth <laughs> and everything. It's like, you, you would have seen that pretty quickly. Just realized that if that mouth, the other side of the mouth is space. And that mouth wasn't fully closed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're in a gravity it's- bubble. Well, there's not space on the other side of the mouth, which is weird because when they got shot out, they went in the tube, into a the pipe, overflow like tube. however the pi- yeah, right. there was a lot of lapses in logic how they got yeah. out of that. You gotta just kind of smile yeah. and nod yeah. a lot of this episode. Yeah. Maybe they when they said it's it like free a at hole, the end, blow, spoilers. Blow hole. When they said it free at the end, they take whatever was in its mouth and they take it out. Yeah, but so no, I, I envisioned that they had built like we see later on that they're invasive with the with the creature. Mm-hmm. I see that just all over the ship they have feed tubes. Yeah, they're no the feed tubes don't go into the mouth. The feed tubes go into the creature's stomach. The kid in the elevator, and the only reason why I'm saying that is because when the elevator door open or floor opens, it looks like the same floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but I just see it as they're putting. I think they even there's a line where they say, you know, there was a feeding tube. God, this gets more and more depressing. Feeding tubes and mouths wired shut? Jeez. (laughs) Before they ended up in the mouth, though, uh, I just want to point out the line of Amy while they're they're still, like, figuring out Amy's vote. Um, And Amy learns that the doctor is an alien, or at least isn't human. Yeah. And she says, then why do you look like us? And the doctor says, no, you look like Time Lord. Yeah. yeah. You look Time Lord. I that's, love that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fun line. It's, I'm surprised it's never been said before, too. I thought that would be yeah. very funny. I thought that was the naturalist way of doing that, because yeah. this is her first trip. And then, she, yeah, he replies with, no, you look Time Lord. We came first. And then she replies with, so there are other Time Lords, and he doesn't really answer. Yeah. yeah. And but I she, thought that but was great. she picks up on that. Yeah, but I thought that that was, like, an intelligent way to yeah. say, there's something here yeah. that's a little bit more than we're going to give you. But he does say that he's the only one. About yeah, yeah, but he doesn't go into that. Not, not in that moment. Because the other one that was is similar to this is kind of um, with Martha in Gridlock, where she says, you know, sit down and talk to me about what's going on. Tell yeah. me all of this. Where Amy, like we've discussed, picks up on it from that little reply. Yeah, but then he's really closely just presses, you protest. know, protest. So yep. too much is happening for her to really talk about it. Um, I also thought it was interesting how much the doctor chews into her for forgetting, her choosing to forget, especially, like, I think as we get a little bit farther into the season, like, we'll see that the doctor has also maybe chosen, chose to forget parts of his past. This is the, well, it's like watching it now is different than watching it back then. Yes. But watching it back then when this was new, that was a, oh my God, this isn't David Tennant. I hate this guy. Mm stop getting so angry and yelling at the humans all the time it's not enjoyable and i'm really kind of glad that they did not continue to do that but at the time when you're watching it new it's like is this how the doctor's going to be all the time because i'm not going to like that what i just sort of realized though is it it could be taken a lot like he's projecting his own feelings about the time war mm-hmm. onto amy and humans like he's been forgetting oh i did something terrible i'm gonna go have fun now and it's his own self-flagellation that he's been ignoring that he's then just unleashing upon this. 
Like, basically, they're the scapegoat for his own feelings of what he did. He's been repressing that exact thing, and he can't deal with the... the no, the, we, but the, we've gone through two doctors of him dealing with he, it. I know, but I think, I, in real life, I, th- I, I kind of feel... I think with this doctor, he's... It's one of those things where they were trying to say, this doctor doesn't automatically think humans are just fantastic. Right. And so that he does get angry at humans. Mm-hmm. And I don't think... I don't like how it was coming off. Yeah, this one felt weird. But he does it again in this episode, and that one I am okay with. See, I'm worse with the other one. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) When we come back. After a brief message from our sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Mandy turns from the voting booth and runs into Liz 10. They go to the overflow pipe, and Liz shoots the Smilers, saving Amy and the doctor. Liz has been listening by way of the locator she gave to the doctor. He is annoyed with Liz because she must have also pressed the forget button when she voted, but she tells him she's never voted. She knows about the doctor because her family has told stories about him for centuries. She is Queen Elizabeth X of England. They head to the Queen's quarters and see more spiked tentacles along the way that have broken through parts of the ship. At her chambers, she tells the doctor that the government has been keeping secrets from her for ten years, ever since she began her reign. Government agents come to take her and the others to the tower, the lowest level of the ship, on orders from the highest authority, the Queen. A, a little, uh, and she's a, she, Victoria, Vicky was a little iffy on the doctor, <laughs> which is right. a great yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, what is, what is, doesn't she also say, like, everybody knows about the doctor the because thing. he's got that weird, idiotic hair? Yeah. <laughs> Being knighted and banished the same day. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is a reference to Tooth and Claw. She makes, she mentions yeah, having, um, tea and scones, I think, with Henry VIII. But we, I don't think we ever saw that. I don't think that was on Classic Who. I don't think Who was... Hold on. Well, then there was the comment about the Virgin Queen. Yeah, yeah. and then Elizabeth the first. Yeah, and then uh, he was uh, an old drinking buddy of Henry the Twelfth, And that he had tea and scones with Liz too and Silver Nemesis. Really? What's Silver Nemesis? I don't know. That's that. a later episode of Matt Smith's with Cybermen. Oh, it says Silver Nemesis is from 1988. Sorry. Has Elizabeth been the monarch for the whole Doctor Who? No, not the whole whole Doctor Who run? Wow. Long and even before then. She old. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, she rules. (laughs) 54, I think, was when Magpie Electronics were showing the inauguration. (laughs) Or the coronation. I do like the little bit about royalty doesn't vote. A little, little, little teaching lesson for everybody. They're not citizens. And here's the queen says that she knows some of her subjects are missing. People are missing, mm. people, and someone's feeding it to this beast. Someone's and helping. Just, mm-hmm. just gotta... 1952. That's <laughs> Yeah, long time. I, I do find it funny that she says, "I've been trying to figure this out for ten years. You come in here in one day, figure it out." And part of me was like, "Yeah, what <laughs> the hell's wrong with you?" <laughs> Yeah, but you see, it's also a little statement about how the queen is kind of controlled Attached. by her bureaucrats, right. by her government. Right. Where she, if she ever wants to find something out, she's never going to be able to right. find it out like, because she has no resources on her side. Right. Because so it really did seem like Liz Ten was alone. Mm-hmm. She had nobody. Because she chose to forget, just like all the other citizens. So she was, I take it in, in, a, in a weird way, like um, Memento where Liz Ten has been trying to find and solve this mystery, and when she finally figured out all the pieces, she was like, it's better to forget. Well, that is yeah. what happened. And, but yeah. it took but 10, ten years, years to do no, it. No, no, I know. Saying, yeah. But I like that, that reveal 
I, I guess because we're not shown all of that and it's given to us in that little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I, I also assume like there were other times it was two months and she would figure it out. Well, what if this is the latest version of her cycle? It is. No, I'm saying <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And all these people have been employed to block her from figuring yeah, it out. I know. So that's why it takes 10 years. So I think it's, it's progressionally <laughs> taking longer. Because at the beginning, she might have figured it out sooner. And they're going, okay, now we have to stop her doing this. We have to stop her doing this. Oh, that's interesting. makes yeah. it longer. And now it's like, okay, now we have to stop her doing right. this, 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 and this. And that's right. what I was getting at. So right. That's interesting. It just, but I still think more time yeah, goes on, the longer but, it takes for her to get so to they this keep point. In, oh, so you like, would have thought at this point, then, they wouldn't give her any glasses. <laughs> <laughs> she has to drink somehow. Yeah, right. And who knows? It could be two years into her reign that she's like, I don't hear any noise. Maybe the, the only movie they still and, have on in the library is signs. <laughs> <laughs> and, they have and the to creepy swing girl away. with the dental work comes on and says, can right. I have a glass of water? Right, exactly. And then they're like, more? <laughs> you want some more? I mean, she can't go out in public because everybody still recognizes her. They know who mm-hmm. she is. Because mm-hmm. Mandy's like really happy when she sees her. Oh, it's you. Okay, everything's fine. You know, so Yeah, very Henry V. Maybe at one point they gave her the mask just to give her something to do. Because that's one of those, you know, things Keep in hell. Keep her distracted, maybe? Okay. Yeah. It was one of those things in hell, you know, why the guy has to push the boulder up all the time. Someone thought that that was for mercy because it gives you something to do. It gives you an objective to try and reach rather than sitting there doing nothing. And so we got it down to 10 years, you know, 30 40 years ago, that's the most we can do. <laughs> She's going to figure it out within 10 years. This is going to be the pattern now. So in their parliament meetings, they're like, 11 years is our next goal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But we can't see any of that because they're forbidden to show any footage. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing before we move on. I love the fact that the tower, the tower of London is the lowest part of the ship. There is no up and down in space. So, a Star Wars reference here, if you want to fit it in. Um, when the doctor sees the tentacles through the cage, he says he shouldn't have come here. Kind of like Luke, Return of the Jedi, heading down on the shuttle to the oh, right. moon of Endor. I like, shouldn't I shouldn't have come, have come here because he knows. I'm yeah. endangering the I'm mission. Je- that, I'm jeopardizing stretch, the mission. Though. Sorry. Go <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> Eugene, the space pistols. I was going to mention that. Yeah. <clears throat> they look c- kind of like Django Fett. <laughs> okay. I was hoping for some more background or, or I, details. I, I mean, when you look at the way she's shooting, it's obvious that those are added in the post. It's not... I mean, they could have given her a little bit more training on how to hold those things, but whatever. She rolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the queen approaches Hawthorne, her right-hand man, and sees children around. She demands an explanation of why she has been taken here, and why there are children this far below. He says that protesters and people of little value are fed to the beast, but it will not eat the children. Mandy and Timmy are reunited. The doctor walks over to a device, which is torturing the beast to make it move through space as a living engine. Every 10 years, Liz discovers the truth, but chooses to forget in order to keep her subjects alive. She has been the queen for over 200 years. She watches the video she created telling herself the truth. All other nations had left because of the solar flares. The children of the UK were crying, screaming because the earth was burning and getting hotter. They were still fighting over Brexit. Yeah. It was a miracle that this star whale, the last of its kind, passed by earth. They captured it and rode it away to safety. Yeah, I think the rest of the EU got together and were able to get (laughs) off of earth and left Britain to themselves. (laughs) They're happily change, exchanging currency somewhere else in the stars. 
So the the beast doesn't eat the children. It's been 200 years. So do those children keep working in the tower until they're adults and then fed to the beast? Yep, that's what I thought. Because they can't let the kids go. Or until they're old enough to press forget. Oh. I mean, if they were able to wipe their memory, they're probably able to program them with new memories as well. But the creature does eat all the adults who choose protest. What I want to know is if you're just shoving humans down feeding tubes, how does it know <laughs> if it's a child in its yeah, mouth? Yeah, I thought or, of that too, but I figured don't don't go it, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a space whale. I think at that point you can maybe you know, let the logic go. Well, there has to be some sort of psychic Thing for it to have even heard the children crying yeah, there you from go. across space. Yeah, oh, yeah, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> Protest is protein. Wow. <laughs> and I'm really, really getting tired of the science fiction trope of last of its kind. Yeah. Mm. Everything. Oh, it doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the torture of the brain reminding me of the ood brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the poor thing. Humans. Well, I'll be a little, since we're mentioning the brain, I'll be a little nerd about it. And, and when we see at the very end, when we see the whale, that the head isn't attached to anything. Who says the brain's in the head? Okay, there you go. Different anatomy. Got me. But yeah, we finally get to see the brain. Yeah, but Frank, uh, in uh, the end of time, you wanted to see the ood brain. You can sort of get this brain to get your fix. It's just all the same, but it made me sad. <laughs> Amy asks the doctor why she would go along with this, and he tells her that it was to protect him from having to make that decision. It was wrong, and he doesn't need her deciding for him. The doctor plans to lobotomize the star whale to stop it from feeling pain. The alternatives are to free the whale, which will kill everyone on board, or kill the beast. As he works, Amy sees a tentacle peacefully interacting with the children, and sees that the whale came to help, like the doctor. Never interfere unless children are crying. She yells at the doctor to stop, but he won't listen. She grabs the queen's hand and makes her press the abdicate button, immediately stopping the torture of the whale. The ship's speed increases now that they have stopped torturing the pilot. The star whale had come to help. So uh, earlier you mentioned, Brian, that you don't like it when uh, the 11th doctor yells at this moment. He's too angry, and at this point it was only because he was new, and it was only because he was not David Tennant, but I really disliked this doctor. Stop yelling at Amy, and and he's he's yelling that he because he doesn't like humans at that moment. For me, it's like, stop it. That's not the doctor. I did not like this when I first watched it. And now watching it again, I kind of got caught up in this story of the mystery and especially about a whole people choosing to torture something else. And at this point, I was sort of with the doctor at this moment because he when he figures out, learns everything that's going on. I'm with the doctor. I don't like the acting choices. Now I do like the acting choices after doing the research because uh, it's when the smilers and the winders are revealed to be just following orders. The doctor says, and with that sentence, you just lost the right to even talk to me, which is the exact same line that the ninth doctor used in Bad Wolf when they were on station satellite five. And so that's why I like that line now. It's because it's consistent with his character. Yes, but he's so angry. It's just, for me, he's he's so... And I don't have a problem with the anger, but yeah, it was too fine. early for me. It was like, it, that, that was almost like a, a moment of, uh, hey, this is a completely new doctor, and you may not like this. I can watch it now because they didn't keep that, that mm-hmm. characteristic of this doctor. And I'm, He still gets angry at humans, and, and that's fine. And I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying no, to you not. why it 
is okay with me yeah, this time around. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, 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 you're is a very, it's a very valid reason. To me, I think it's just I'm getting angry at Moffat and Matt Smith for how it was written and presented. And, and I take it a little further because this is the uh, the ninth Doctor experienced this already with people just following orders, and then he sees it happening again. So he's like, human humanity has not learned. So that's why I'm doctor, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with his madness. No, go ahead. The Ninth Doctor also tries to murder that Dalek, doesn't he? And Rose stops yes. him. Yeah. So it's not... I, I agree with with Brian in that when I first saw this, I was deeply disturbed and a little bit heartbroken because I didn't know what to think. Agreed. But I also I, I also agree with Eugene that now, you know, I, I saw it a little bit differently when I watched it today, but I, I am totally on both of your sides because I, I just remember that this is not technically not the first time that he's lost control like this. Maybe Brian's right. It, it was too soon. I hadn't, I was still getting to know this doctor and that mm. kind of threw a wrench and because he's just so happy and jovial in the first episode that you're totally not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah you yes. don't see any but, sign uh, of it beforehand. No, it really came out of left field, and you're just like, uh, what? I will say, though, coming off of this, I really like the way, the logic, and the way that Amy saves the day. Like, what she said about him and making the connection between him and the whale, and that she is really Oh, they're observant. the last of their kind. But I like... Uh, That's a trigger for Brian. <laughs> One of the many. <laughs> But I like how she makes that correlation. Actually, I do too. To be honest with you, I had forgotten that moment because mm-hmm. I haven't seen this episode in maybe four or five years. Mm-hmm. So I only remembered the he's yeah, he's wait. hating humans mm-hmm. and the star whale is the last of its kind. Oh, that's stupid. I didn't make the connection that right. Amy makes. So when I was watching Amy's connection, it was like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> his reaction reminded me of Tenet near the end of his run. Like Waters of Mars, the arrogance that the Doctor has and not listening to anybody and not thinking it through himself mm-hmm. what the repercussions of actions are. Because he could not find the actual solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. Now they did kind of write that in that Amy had to see it because she had seen it in him from an outside advantage. Mm-hmm. And he could not see how to save both the people and the whale. But even after she did it, He's like, oh my God, what have you done? Oh, you've ruined everything now. It's like, the doctor we've gotten to know, at least in the Davis era, is a little bit more with it. He's quicker. He would figure out, oh, this is what you did. And he would understand it. And still at the end, you know, he's just saying, you could have killed everybody. It's like, that is some of the things that she does. She does things without knowing the consequence. This one, it worked out well. But what you were talking made me think, Amy ended up doing exactly what the doctor told her to do, which was to observe mm-hmm. and pay attention. And it's because of that exact thing that she she was the one that realized the correlation. That is true. Oh, yeah, I like Didn't that. even think of that before. Oh. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it would have just been Great Britain, the people, the British people that would have been killed. Like, the rest yeah. of humanity was fine. Like, <laughs> scattered yeah. across the galaxy. Things would yeah. be called elevators again and aluminum. They're busy in those uh, cryopods and, with uh, the insects. Bathrooms and restrooms. Trash. And now, and, you Trash. know, now that they're not torturing the, the star whale anymore, are they still going to feed it humans? Yeah, what are they going to do? Refuse. Let's feed it the refuse. 
Oh, lucky star whale. Yeah, he didn't look good. Or, or maybe the star was like, I've grown accustomed to the test. <laughs> <laughs> I know what they can feed it. They can feed it soil and green. Paper. I do wish they had a little scene where they would somehow put aloe or something on the brain to try and soothe it. Oh, and yeah, right. I, I wanted some sort of communication with the whale. I wanted a little bit of spot. sorry or, you know, hey, it's okay. I'm a big whale. I could take it. <laughs> or he's just like, is that right? You know, just, and I don't know how they would have done it. That wouldn't seem stupid. She could have had some sort of speech to the, you know, they could have made it seem oh, like something worked. Well, there's this... Uh, at the end of this episode, we hear a female voice t- doing that limerick again, but the limerick is different. Like the limerick from the elevator is oh, now poem. the, the poem? poem. Why is it not a limerick? Isn't a limerick kind of like a riddle type poem? No, a, limerick is a, specific... a limerick has a specific rhyme rhyme scheme. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So we hear a female voice doing a poem that, and I always thought that was Liz Tin doing a little wrap up of like, oh, now I'm, we're, our, you know, our people are going to not keep secrets and we all are gonna, you know, recognize this beast who helped save us. But I guess that wasn't Liz Tin, it was actually Amy. It was Amy Pond, and her poem goes, In bed above, we're deep asleep, while greater love lies further deep. This dream must end, this world must know. We all depend on the beast below. I did like the line in there that this dream must end, so everybody now is aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen when this star whale naturally passes away? (laughs) What if they were shortening its life by zapping its brain 24-7? I want them to find a whole pod of Star Wars going, oops, it wasn't the last one. (laughs) Back in the TARDIS, they get a call from Winston Churchill. He needs the Doctor to come at once as the shadow of a Dalek looms behind him. As the TARDIS takes off, the crack from Amy's room shows on the side of Starship UK. Is it, it's not just me that the crack looks like a smile, right? Was like that, a Cheshire cat yeah, kind yeah. of smile? No, it's like the jagged edge of it. was really weird because at work, there was one on our wall. I was like, yeah. that's the same thing. I took a picture and showed Brian and go, it's here too. I have one more Star Wars connection-ish. Oh? Right before they get Star back Whale to the has TARDIS. the same initials as Star Wars? Well, that too. There's, there's another one. Um... But when they, the doctor and Amy are looking over like the bright star field, there's a horizontal wipe that goes from left to right, a very like soft oh, wipe really that George Lucas did a lot in yeah. the, the Star Wars and movies. And all, all the Star Wars movies have that. Yeah. But Just those are also, I mean, they go back to like Flash Gordon serials, I think. And okay. that's why Star and, Wars yeah, that's did that. And, and Kurosawa. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, they're also doing a Douglas Adams homage with the whole Starship UK. He had a book called Starship UK. Okay. And Douglas Adams was story editor for the forward doctor, I think. Something in the classic. The guy who wrote uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And what happened here is something that's really unique, showing the preview for the next episode. They've never done that in this incarnation. Or how much it ties into the next episode. It's the old way of doing it as a serial. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's a series yeah. of Doctor Who, and we will lead you to the next one. But I think mm-hmm. it, it is going back to more of that like form of storytelling. I which, didn't even realize until, yeah, thank which you. Which I understand, but I, I don't think I like it. Because right. it, it kind of kills the mood that we were just left on. Right. Yeah. 
But it also, like, serves the plot of Amy not being able to, like, tell the doctor the truth about her wedding. Like, she's saved by oh, the phone Oh, right. That's right. That's right. That's a good so point. it's like, yeah. it's, and then, and again, it's not just a gimmick, you know? That like, happens, they used it. That goes right along with what we were saying about Moffat. Like, why'd you do that? And then you realize, oh, they did, did that because that happened and stopped. Yeah, it's not like and, Amy's going to uh, say no to meeting Winston Churchill. And the conversation that they cut off was finding out that Amy and the doctor both like to run away from their problems and right. use that as a tactic. Oh, yeah. You know, it explains so much about who the doctor is in this episode with, like, mm-hmm. moments like that of, like, have you ever run away from something? And then, then like, I'm the last of my kind. Father. Uh, Are you a father? Or a parent? Yeah, I like how that's similar to, I think it's Fear Her, where the doc, uh, Rose is asking the doctor about, have you been a parent before? And he doesn't answer. I think, yeah, it's just the same thing here. And it felt natural in this one. So we mentioned that uh, Liz Ten is played by uh, Sophie Okanedo. Um, Hawthorne is played by Terence Hardiman. Who's Hawthorne? Is he the he old is the fellow? right-hand man. He played Ramsey McDonald in Gandhi. Mm-hmm. He was Fitzgerald in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, the mm-hmm. episode Palestine, October 1917. And then uh, David Ajala, he plays Peter. He, is the, um, he looks like a smiler, but he's just in the hood and he doesn't have the... I think he's the winder. His name, he's credited as Peter. He plays a bounty hunter in The Dark Knight and Ivory in Fast and the Furious 6. And most recently, he is Manchester Black in the t- TV show Supergirl. Oh, wow. Really? So he played a character named Ivory and a character named Black? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> he really likes that song. <laughs> it's using different Ivory. monikers, though. Mandy is Hannah Sharp. I looked her up and I did not find anything that I I think we would have recognized her. What from. about terrible she teeth, girl? <laughs> oh, that would be. You know, she might be a listener, Heather. <laughs> not anymore. That would be Katrine Richards, and this is her only role ever. She ain't listening to this. And if you do, girl, great job on that poem. <laughs> At the end of every episode, we like to classify who this episode is good for. The first category would be a new viewer, meaning you can introduce this to anybody. Anybody cold can watch this episode and get a taste of what Doctor Who is. The next category would be the casual viewer, meaning that they would have some familiarity with Doctor Who, characters, plots, and time travel. They wouldn't be too lost by watching this episode. The next category would be the fan. Not good for a new viewer or a casual viewer because there is too much plot history, too convoluted, or just a bad episode, and it doesn't represent the series as a whole. The next category would be the diehard. This is not a good episode or doesn't have a wide appeal to the general viewer, and only diehards would watch this as to be a completist. The Beast Below. Who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? Um, even though I don't think this episode is one of the more one of the strongest, I think it is good for a new viewer because it pretty much encapsulates all the Doctor elements that we all like. It's got some of the silliness, it's got some of the action, it's got creepiness, it's got the good and some of the bad er stuff that Moffat does. <laughs> it's uh, introducing a companion into the world, which also so she's sort of our conduit, the viewer's conduit into the world. So I say new. 
Um, I really like this episode. I don't know why. I just, I just do. Like I watched it three times just for fun. Um, but I don't know if it's, if you, this was your very first episode watching it. I don't know if it would encourage you to keep watching it. It might just be too strange. And, um, but I would show it to a new Who viewer if I, but I would make them watch the previous episode first. Um, so, um, because of that, I'm going to put it in the second category and say that, like, a casual viewer who's watching through the series um, will get the, um, will enjoy this episode the most, I think. Kelsey, we usually can sync up. This I want to change mine. Oh, <laughs> join on us. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's good for a new Who viewer because a casual viewer might be upset at the new Doctor and the way that the new Doctor is being portrayed. So I'm gonna say this is good for a new Who viewer, best for a new Who viewer. I, I agree. I think with everything that that you said, Kelsey, and with what Josh said. For for me, because I, I started Doctor Who with Eccleston and then Tenet, I remember I had a hard time with Matt Smith at the beginning, just because I had fallen in love with David Tennant and like, who's this guy? I, I don't feel that now because I, I do have a little more distance from it. But this episode in particular, I think, like I, I haven't used it to introduce anyone to Doctor Who with, but I think it, it could be used as an episode to introduce somebody to the world of Doctor Who because like you said, it does have a lot of really good exposition on who the Doctor is, on kind of what this world is. Not so much on Amy, but the idea of the show that we're traveling through time and space. And now look, here's the UK on a spaceship and there's star whales. So I think uh, I will classify it as good for a new Who viewer. I'm going to go with new Who as well, piggybacking on everything you said. Introducing Amy, you could also be introducing your friend to the show. Um, I love the little questions that you mentioned, the exposition questions. You know, have you ever been a parent? Have you ever this? Have you ever that? And the doctor kind of doesn't answer any of them. It has the potential to whet a person's appetite to want to know more. And yes, I'm on team new, new viewer. I'm also going to say new viewer, but I'm also going to add that I would never pick this episode personally to do that. But if someone out there was flipping through channels and this episode was on, you'll be able to watch (laughs) it. You'll be able to figure out what's going on. Um... So I think it, you know, it would be good for a, a person unfamiliar with Doctor Who to see this episode first. I think this does well in representing what the show is for everyone. So I would vote New Who as well. And also could be the first episode you show somebody. It's not my favorite episode, but it does cover everything. But this one does feel like Amy's first trip more than some of the other companions' first trips first episode and also because of what we were saying earlier the tag at the end with the call from winston churchill might make mm-hmm. new people hook yeah. right it, it might be a good hook and that might have been what they were doing and why they were doing it now they were trying to hook viewers to stay i see what you did with the whale the hook gotcha <laughs> i All did right. not so they're gonna harpoon <laughs> <laughs> just call me ishmael boy what did you think eugene <laughs> Much like uh, we have done with these episodes is that when we watch them again for the podcast, we have a different, I guess, opinion or, or feeling toward them. I remember really passing on this episode the first time around, and I think it was because of that crash zoom at the end that goes into the the crack on the side of the star whale. I just, I just did not think that that was clever at all. You mean uh, the crack on the side of the ship? Yeah, the star whale ship. Well, it's not on the star whale. 
on the ship. No one, no one broke open the star whale. It's on a wall. Either way, it's it's there. It's it's, it's on crash. Starship UK. Yeah, it's a crash zoom on. Oh yeah. I don't oh, like, the, I don't like that. I yeah, I agree. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant. It's like here's a secret. Here it is. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I don't like them pointing it out the way that it's done here. It's mm-hmm. like we get it. Yeah, yeah. Moffat's really big and look how clever I am. <laughs> yeah, there is a difference between Davis and Moffat in that. Oh God, yes. Sorry. <laughs> in that the the little hints that Davis was dropping, it made me want to rewatch things. So when I originally watched The Beast Below and there was such a big spotlight pointed on what to look out for, it made me not want to revisit and like, this. Why Amy doesn't remember the Daleks. Yeah. It, no, that was actually interesting. Don't cross the street. But if you want to find out, tune in next time. <laughs> so there was just things that made me not want to revisit this. And for the podcast, now I have to revisit them. Now I enjoy the message of the moral message of what uh, Amy does at the end and how she saves the whale from being tortured. I really think that that is a great message for kids. And uh, keeping in with the stuff that Davis has done, the the companion's first episode takes place in mo- their modern day and then we go into the the future so it feels familiar but then there are the crash zooms that i don't like so it's got a lot of mixed emotions for me so it was very tough for me to put this into a category and i think i'm just gonna have to go with casual on this one you kept us from being unanimous oh. <laughs> i have to go with my my feelings. No, you don't. My heart. You don't have a heart. Press the unanimous button. <laughs> I choose not forget. to forget. <laughs> I choose to save the whale. You protest. You're the 1%. I do protest. And there's just something about seafaring creatures. I've mentioned this before that they they appear in sci-fi as being part like of space. Like Star Trek. Like Star Trek. There we go. There's a Star Trek. <laughs> the whales in space. Star Trek. Like with the voyage home. I was going to be more subtle about it. <laughs> no, Kelsey, I'm doing it. Being subtle. Or even encounter at Firepoint, we got the jellyfish. Yeah. This wasn't a nuclear whistle, though. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that wraps up The Beast Below. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. Also, listen to us on your Amazon Echo by enabling a podcast skill. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. You think they got rid of all the copies of Free Willy? (laughs) About a whale. I got captured. We understand. I might have to cut that one out because I don't... Look what you've done, Josh. Look what you've done. <laughs> my, my mission is complete. <laughs> Michael Madsen was in that. I don't know why, but whatever. Oh, he needed money. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Very good. No, nobody <laughs> loves me. <laughs> Everybody hates We're me. all here on the other coast. <laughs> my only friends. <laughs> 
no no screw ups except for that part. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Heather. Bad, Josh. You get a zero. <laughs> Oh, never mind. Oh, yeah. It's a wrong show. Cut that out. <laughs>